So I'm told there's a uh, sporting event taking place today. I've heard about it. Um, for some people, it's a pretty big deal. In my family growing up, however, this was not the big event. This was not the big thing. We enjoyed football. We watched football. It was a part of my life growing up, but the Super Bowl was not really where it was at. For my family, um, it was an event that happened about a month or two later, and that's called March Madness. My family, basketball was king, especially college basketball. Um, and in particular, uh, we enjoyed it, or I enjoyed it, because of the almost yearly reality of what was called the Cinderella team. That is, that team, that little team that came out of nowhere and far surpassed all expectations, won games they weren't supposed to win. Uh, sometimes they even went, you know, really far in the tournament and, and uh, were there. And, and it was just, it was always exciting to watch the little guy overcome, see them overcome, you know, the boundaries, the barriers, the things that got in their way to, to be a success. And, and uh, that was really always just a big part of it for me, a big part of the enjoyment of Arch Madness, as it's called. Today, we come to look at a story of a man who had a lot of obstacles, a man who um, was paralyzed and had been uh, for uh, a very long time, as far as we could tell in the scriptures, um, and he needed healing. He needed help. He needed a touch from the Master, from the Lord. And there were a lot of obstacles in his way, as we'll see. There were a lot of things that got in his way. But nothing stopped him from getting there, from getting to his Savior. And as we look at this story, and as we consider his journey past these, these obstacles, past these realities, we encounter that Savior, we encounter that one, we encounter the miracle worker that is the heart, the focus of the Gospel of Mark. And we see him doing some things a little bit differently than perhaps he's done before. We see him interacting with the crowd a little bit differently than he's interacted with them before. And, and I think a big part of that goes back to our message last week. At the end of chapter 1, we noted that because of Jesus' compassion, because of his kindness to the leper, the leper went out, and told everybody the amazing thing that God had done, the amazing thing that Jesus had done in his life. And it says that, that people were so drawn to Jesus and so driven to Jesus, it says the result was that Jesus could no longer enter a town openly. He, he couldn't even go into town. He, he was stuck, in a sense, out in, out in the, the surrounding regions, out in, in those mountains, in those hills around Galilee. And I think that during the time in between that event and our event today, I think Jesus did some, I don't know if we want to call it reevaluation, but it, it might indeed include some of that. Because it says in verse 1 of chapter 2, our passage today, when he entered Capernaum again after some days. In other words, a lot of time has passed. And I think what he did was he kind of reevaluated. Okay, how, do, how am I going to... How am I going to handle these crowds? How am I going to deal with these people? How am I going to get them back on focus as to why I came? Okay? 
Because Jesus didn't come just to heal bodies. Jesus didn't come just to feed the stomach. And yet that was kind of where his ministry was headed at this point. That's kind of what he had become known for. That's kind of where people were, were kind of um, coming to him and, and seeing him through that lens. That, that's what they wanted. That's what they expected. And Jesus wanted them to understand, I came for so much more than that. I came on an eternal business. I, I came with a focus and with a desire not just to, to feed the body, but to feed the soul. And not just to, to heal the body, but to, to heal the spirit. I came to transform the whole being, not just satisfy a, a momentary hunger. And so as Jesus comes in, back into town here, and, and he begins to, to uh, interact with the people once again, we see that he's still drawing people, but we see an exchange that takes place that I believe is intended to, to redirect the discussion. And so we begin reading here in verse 1 of chapter 2 of the Gospel of Mark. It says, When he entered Capernaum, again after some days, it was reported that he was at home. So many people gathered together that there was no more room, not even in the doorway. And he was speaking the word to them. They came to him, bringing a paralytic carried by four uh, of them. Since they were not able to bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him, and after digging through it, they lowered the mat on which the paralytic was lying. Seeing their faith, Jesus told the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. But some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does he speak like this? He blasphemy. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And right away, Jesus perceived in his spirit that they were thinking like this within themselves and said to them, why are you thinking these things in your heart? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he told the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. And immediately he got up, he took the mat, and went out in front of everyone. As a result, they were all astounded and gave glory to God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for how it so clearly and abundantly communicates your rich and wonderful mercy. We thank you for the, the challenges that it gives us. To, to be more than we currently are, to be who you made us to be, to walk in relationship with the creator of this universe. God, may we come to understand more fully, more completely what it means to, to walk with you, to understand you, to have the abundant life that you offer. It's in Christ's name we pray these things. Amen. Now, Whenever I come upon a, a passage like this and, and, and a text like this, there's a certain fear that kind of sets into me as, as a pastor, as a theologian, as, as an individual who cares that we treat the Bible with a great deal of integrity and with respect. And that is that people will sometimes kind of misunderstand what Jesus is doing here. 
Because in this passage, there is clearly a link between the man's sickness and sin. There's a connection there. We know that there's a connection there because Jesus makes the connection clear. He says your sins are forgiven, and then he what? He heals the man as well. And, and when we see that and when we, we, we read that connection, it, it's, it's our default position, I think, to then kind of understand all sickness, all struggles, all hurt through the, through the lens of specific sin. That is, uh, whenever we have a national disaster or whenever we have um, some other sickness in our life, you know, somebody that we love is diagnosed with cancer or, or we go through some hardship or some difficulty, our, our default position, our regular response is, what did I do to deserve this? What sin did I commit that led to this? You hear pastors get up all the time whenever you know a, a hurricane hits or there's a major destructive force out in nature. They'll get up and they'll say, you know, this is God's judgment on our sin. It's kind of our default position. And that's not what Mark is getting at here. And it's not what Jesus is doing here. It's not the 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 connection that the text is making. Now, sometimes our sin does lead to sickness. It does. Sometimes our sin does lead to difficulties. It does. 1 Corinthians 11.38, Paul tells us that, that sometimes that's a barrier to us really enjoying life, and, and, and it can lead to sickness. Sin in our lives can lead to sickness. I don't believe that is Scripture's de default position. I think Scripture's default position is that sickness in and of itself exists because sin entered into the world. I, I think it is Scripture's position and, and, and take on things that the reason we suffer, the reason we hurt, the reason we, we agonize in life at all is because sin is present. But I don't know that there's a, a specific connection between a sin we commit, and then a result always. But we do need to understand the importance of sin, and we do need to understand that it does have an overall impact on who we are. But where I see sin playing a, a much more significant role in terms of our life, and I think this is part of where Mark is going here, is in the barrier it creates in terms of our relationship with God. I think that's the heart of what the Bible wants us to understand about sin. Is that it limits, it, it minimizes, it reduces the power of God in our life. In terms of how we relate, how we live, how we enjoy the life that we have. We read in scripture that Jesus says, I came to, to have life, to give life, and that you'd have it more abundantly. That that's why what Christ is offering us. And yet, I see even believers sometimes struggling with that reality. Life doesn't feel abundant. Life doesn't feel grand. Life doesn't feel amazing. It doesn't feel like it should feel. And we struggle with that. And we are constrained by that. And what we often do, I think, is we respond to the symptoms instead of the source. 
We respond to the hurt or the doubt or the fear or the other things that are there instead of the source of the problem. And the source of the problem is that we're not connecting with Jesus the way we ought to be. That's the source of the problem. You know, when when several years ago I, I uh, was diagnosed, as many uh, people are, with high cholesterol, okay? And the doctor... You know, he says, Tim, you have high cholesterol. It's, it's much higher than it should be. Um, you have two options. I said, okay, what are those two options? He said, well, you can change your diet and your exercise routine and all of these other things and, and reduce it naturally the way your body was intended to. Or I can give you this medication and it will lower it for you. And I said, give me the medication. <laughs> okay. Because... <laughs> Because I don't, I don't want to give up all those things that I currently enjoy. I don't want to, I don't want to alter my behavior in that way. Give, give me the stuff that'll do it for me, okay? And I think that a lot of times that's kind of where we are with our Christian walk as well. You know, God comes to us and He says, "I'm offering you abundant life. Abundant life is in front of you, okay? And you can experience that by walking with Me." pursuing the spiritual disciplines in terms of prayer and, and fasting and giving and disciple-making and Bible study and worship. You, you can experience these things. Or you can just continue to deal with the symptoms. And when things come up, you come and you can ask me to, to come in and intervene on the symptoms. And I think that's how we kind of picture the whole discussion. And we're like, well, let's just deal with the symptoms. I don't really want to pursue God over here. I don't really want to do those things. Let's just take care of the symptoms. Let's just make life better. Let's not worry about making life great. Let's just make life better. And we settle for that. And, and that's kind of our mindset and our perspective. But Jesus has come to heal and to help, to, to give us ultimate healing, complete healing, total transformation. And you see that played out here. As Jesus comes back into the town, he wants the people to understand. I think, I think he, to be honest, I think he had this plan. He wanted the people to see that it wasn't just about healing the sick or even casting out the demons. It was about forgiveness of sin. It was about a relationship renewed between us and our Creator. And so when he encounters this individual and he has this opportunity and he sees who's around, he, he looks at the man and he says, your sins are forgiven. And in that statement, in that sentence, he's saying, I am God. And everybody there got it. Everybody there understood it because what did the scribes say? No one can forgive sins except God alone. They got what he was saying. They understood it. They didn't like it. They didn't agree with it. They didn't believe it. But they understood it. They knew what he was saying with that sentence. And then to confirm the reality that he was actually capable of doing that, he healed the man as well. And in this one act, in this one interaction, he's redirected his ministry. He's redirected the hearts and minds of people to the fact that he's here for more than just dealing with symptoms. He's here to bring ultimate healing of the whole person. 
Now, with that in mind, we, we come back to the man. We come back to the paralytic. And we see the obstacles that he faced to get there. Number one, he's paralyzed. That's a pretty big obstacle all by itself. That, that he can't get up and go where he wants to go. He has to have, it says, four friends carry him. Okay. Which probably suggests he, he wasn't exactly the smallest guy either. Okay. Four friends are carrying him. He, he finds out where Jesus is. He hears where the healer is. And he says, take me there. And his friends take him to this place. And they get there, and there's no room. They can't even get close to the door. Jesus is in the house, and he's teaching. The windows are open, the doors are open, and the crowds are just everywhere. One more barrier. And the man looks around, and instead of giving up, Instead of saying, no, we'll try again another time, he says, what? Let's go up there. Let's go up there. And they get up on the roof. And I love how Mark describes it. They start digging. Okay? You know, it's a, it's a mud thatch roof. It's a mixture of, of grass and mud and, and wood and all those other things. And and I could just imagine, you know, Jesus is down there teaching. Everybody's kind of listening to him. He's saying what he always says. And all of a sudden, a little bit of dirt falls down in front of him. Then probably a little bit more. And suddenly, there's this big patch of light. And you're like, whoa, okay, here we go. And then suddenly, you see this, this mat being lowered with a man in it. And I, again, I can just imagine everybody just kind of stepping back and saying, wow, okay, this guy's kind of desperate. Let's, let's step back. And then Jesus says what he says. But does man what? Does man wouldn't allow any obstacles to get in his way? And I wonder, I, I, I ask myself, what obstacles do I allow to get in my way of, of finding healing, of finding direction, of finding wholeness in my own walk? Because I, I struggle with it too. I, I struggle with, abundant life. I struggle with the meaning and purpose of it all at times. Being being a, a, a type of personality, I, I'm a thinker. I analyze everything, including me and my life and where I wish it were and where I wish it were going and what I wish I was doing. And, and I have all of these thoughts always constantly going through my head and I constantly am struggling to get back to, to, to Jesus. And just enjoying the fact that I have Jesus. It's, it's not my way of thinking. It's not my way of doing things. That's not how I view the world. But it's how I need to view the world if I'm really going to have the abundant life that Jesus promised. But what barriers get in our way? Sometimes I think the barriers are the presence of others needing help. It's kind of what the man... Found here, I mean, there was no room even in the doorway, Mark says. But I, I see this with myself. I see this with other believers all the time. Well, there's 7 billion people on this planet. And you got to think, a good number of those people are praying to God. And they all need God. Why would he even take notice of me? 
why would he even see me? I mean, I'm just, I'm just a person living in East Texas. And I don't amount to much, and I don't know why God would even focus on me, especially given the fact, man, I failed him so many times. I've let him down repeatedly, and I know I have. Why would he take notice of me? And that's just the earth. You, you go to Psalm 8, and the psalmist there takes in you know, the universe, look at the stars and the wonders of the heavens and all that, who am I that you would even consider me? But he goes on to say what? Yet, you created me. You shaped me. You formed me. Y'all, you matter to God. You were created by God for relationship with Him. And no matter how many people there are, no matter how many worlds there are out there, God sees you. And He loves you. Don't ever think, don't ever buy into the lie that there's just too much for him to be able to pay attention to you. Our God is big. Our God is awesome. Our God is omnipresent, omniscient, omnibenevolent, which means he's all good. All the time. Don't let the barrier of the crowd keep you from seeing that he has a personal relationship with you. Maybe, maybe it's the skepticism of the, quote, insiders. purported that Gandhi once said, I would be a Christian, but for the Christians. And sometimes we as believers are indeed barriers to people enjoying God's presence, to people understanding God's power and place in their lives. You see the insiders in this story, the, the scribes, What's it say about them here in verse 6? It says, some of the scribes were sitting there and they were questioning in their hearts. In other words, they were what? They were doing nothing but raising complaints and questions. And sadly, I see that too often. I myself have done that too often here within the church. And what I've discovered over the years is that I am most critical of others when I have contributed nothing to the situation. In other words, when, when I have done nothing, when, when, I've, when I've offered nothing, when I've not participated in anything, that's when I get most critical of those who are doing something. 
I don't know if it's the guilt or the shame or whatever it is, but but when I'm not involved, when I'm not connected, it becomes very easy to put down and push down those who are. To express skepticism about what they're experiencing and the things that God's doing in their life. And I'm afraid that that may be the cause for so much of the problems that church members cause in terms of believers and, and searchers and, and, and others who are not able to see the abundant life, are not able to experience the abundant life because we're doing nothing, so all we have left to do is complain or to judge. Let me just encourage you, if you're at that point, if you're at that place in your life where, where fellow believers or, or others who are, quote, insiders are restricting your connection to Jesus or limiting your connection to Jesus, move past them. Push your way through those insiders. And meet with the Savior. Jesus didn't have much time for the self-righteous either. But He always had time for the people who were searching, who were hurting, who were needy. He always found a way to connect with them. Maybe the obstacle is just your own lack of response. As a, I often do, I, I like to imagine different scenarios, and, and I wonder what would have happened if the paralytic, when Jesus looked at him and said, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home, and he's like, I don't think I can. I've been this way for years, for decades. Why would now be any different? He would have been what? He would have been unhealed. Or at the very least, healed but completely unaware of it. Now I believe when Jesus said these words to him, the sins are forgiven and the get up and go that it totally transformed his mind so that he really didn't have the option to say, I don't believe. He was transformed. But I think we quite often do respond just that way to instructions that God gives us. I've given you the power. I've given you the purpose. I've given you the direction. I've given you the talents. I've given you the gifts. I've given you the opportunities to speak my name, to proclaim my word, to impact your culture, and we say, I just don't think it's enough. I just don't think I can do that. And we let our own skepticism, we let our own fears, we let our own reason and logic, sometimes emotion, 
get in our way of what God has told us to do. Of experiencing the life that God has called us to experience. And if that's you, I would just invite you, I would just encourage you, I would just implore you. Stop looking to your heart. The heart is deceitful, Scripture tells us. Stop looking to your mind. Your mind is confused. Start looking to the Savior. Because He offers direction. He offers clarity. He offers power and peace. He will bring the transformation only He can bring. At the center of this event, Jesus utters the words, I'm doing these things so that you may know the Son of Man. And this is a, this is a phrase that, that He re refers to, he, he returns to several times in the Gospel of Mark, that you may know the Son of Man, that you may know what I'm like, that you may know who I am. And who does Mark tell us? Who does Jesus tell us the Son of Man is through the pages of this Gospel? He tells us here in 2.10 that He's the one who can forgive sins. He tells us in, in 2.28, He's the Lord of the Sabbath. That is, he's, he's the lawgiver. He's the one who has molded things. He's the one who's shaped things. He's the one who's ordered things. He tells us in 8.31 and 8.38 and 9.9 and 9.12 and 10.33 that He's one who has come to live a, a life of, of suffering and death. But that also that would not be the end, that He would be resurrected. He tells us in 10.45 that He came not to, to be served, but to serve. He is the servant who ministers to our deepest needs. He tells us in 1421 and 1441 that He came to be betrayed. To have the very people, the very ones that He loved and He came for turn against Him. To reject Him. He tells us in 13, 26, and 27 that He's coming back in power and in majesty to bring final transformation to this world in which we live in. And He tells us in 1462 that He sits at the right hand of power with the Father, interceding on our behalf directing the lives that we live. The obstacles that we face, I think at the end of the day, I think what this text is trying to tell us are really just the symptoms. If you go back to where we started, the, the symptoms, the, the, the doubts, the fears, the, the seeing the, of the others, the seeing of of uh, our own limitations, all of these things, I think those are just the symptoms of the problem. The real problem is that we don't know the Son. 
And by that, what I mean, I'm not talking about salvation. I'm not talking about that necessarily, although that certainly may be the case for some here, that you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ at all. I'm talking about we're not walking with the Son in a real, lasting, significant way. And the reason I know that that's the case for me and potentially the case for y'all is that just like with my high cholesterol diagnosis, I don't like the idea of the cross. My cross. When I look at this story and the stories that follow, I, I see these crowds, hundreds, here around this little bitty house. A little later, he'll, he'll feed the 5,000. Thousands are following him. And yet, as he hung there on the cross, there was just a handful, half a dozen. And the reality of the situation is that the reason we fail to have the abundant life that Christ has called us to is because we've never really died to ourselves. As you get closer to the cross, the harder it becomes to be there with the Savior. And yet he repeatedly said, if any man, any woman, any person would follow after me, let them take up their cross to do so. To understand the Son of Man is to understand that he came to die. And that if we're going to fellowship with him, if we're going to walk with him, we too must die. Daily. The verb that Jesus uses there when he says to take up your cross, it's, it's a recurring verb. The verb that means constantly, continually take it up. As a Christian, I struggle in my walk because I forget to take up that cross. I struggle with the realities of life and with sin and with the symptoms of sin and with the struggles of sin because I don't realize or recognize that Jesus took care of those on the cross and proclaimed his victory and his resurrection. And that just as I have been crucified with Christ, I have the promise of being resurrected with Christ and walking in that power. This morning, I simply ask you, what is your barrier to walking with Jesus? And what will it take for you to be willing to overcome that barrier?
to be who God has called you to be and to enjoy the life that he's called you to enjoy. He calls each of us to himself. And it's in that union, it's in that moment, it's in that interaction that we will find all we need to overcome every barrier we face. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, again, I thank you for your Son. I thank you for the gift of life. I thank you for the hope that you provide. I thank you for the joy and the peace that you grant. May we be individuals who move past the obstacles to you. May we come to understand that regardless of what anybody else is doing, regardless of what anybody else is experiencing, you have made us for relationship with you. And we can find ourselves only when we surrender to that. Thank you for each person here, God. I pray that you're working in their lives. I pray that we're all responsive to what you're doing. And it's in Christ's name I pray these things. Amen.